Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be studying verses 12 through 26 this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. And, and while you're turning there, I want you to think about how every animal has a unique habitat in which it will thrive and flourish, a unique environment, a unique habitat. I try to think of a couple examples, like frogs. I thought of frogs immediately, of course. Frogs, what kind of habitat do frogs thrive in? Kind of shallow water, relatively still water with lots of green vegetation, warm water, right? Frogs really do great there. Frogs wouldn't do so great in the Abu Dhabi desert, right? That's obvious. How about falcons? I thought falcons, they like to fly and hunt and, and find rodents running around, so they need open spaces so they can fly up, see a large area, find little mice or rats or squirrels or rabbits that are running around and, and hunt them. Uh, tuna, did a little bit of research on tuna. Out in the open ocean, but the top level, lots of oxygen, certain temperature of water, they thrive there. And then, of course, bears, all of our favorites. They, they live in thick, wooded forest so they can forage for seeds and for berries and can find little animals to eat, right? Bears, okay? So the point is every animal has its unique habitat in which it thrives and flourishes. And the reason I bring that up is that God has created a particular habitat in which believers thrive and flourish. God's created a unique habitat, a unique environment, a unique setting in which we, his followers, followers of Christ, thrive and flourish. And that habitat is called the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And this is an amazing gift and mercy and blessing from God. I mean, just think about it. We, we all in this room were sinning against God, had our backs turned against God, were running away from God, all of us, me, you, all of us. And God loved us. He loved us. And at great cost to himself, he sent his own son to the cross. And his own son, Jesus, went to the cross because he loved us so much. And Jesus died on the cross, paying for all of our sins, breaking the power of sin. But not just paying for our sin and breaking the power of sin. On the cross, Jesus created the church. Through dying and rising from the dead, Jesus created the church. And the church is one of God's most precious gifts to us. This environment, this ecosystem in which believers thrive and, and flourish. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes this habitat, this ecosystem, and to see what he says, we're going to ask this question. What does it mean to experience church life? What does this mean? And as we read this passage through, and I've got, there's four key aspects of this habitat that I want to show you from this passage. As we read through this passage, I want each of us to be asking, am I experiencing this habitat? Am I living in this habitat? Am I in the shallow waters, lots of vegetation, frog habitat, or am I like a frog in the desert somewhere? I mean, am I a believer living in the habitat that God has created for me that Jesus has purchased on the cross? So look at what Paul says describing this habitat of church, verses 12 through 26. Verse 12, for just as the body is one 
and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. He's talking about your physical body. One body, many members. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, Paul's probably talking about your internal organs here, for the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Every part's needed. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, this passage helps us understand what it means to experience this habitat of church. What does it mean to experience church life? And I should mention there's lots more about the church in the rest of the New Testament than Paul gives here. In the rest of the New Testament, for example, we read that church life involves <clears throat> elders who lead and love and shepherd the flock. It involves deacons who serve the body of Christ. Church life involves regular teaching from the scriptures through the Bible like we're doing right now. It involves coming together and worshiping the Lord with a larger group like we've, we've done this morning. It involves baptisms we're celebrating and communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper. It involves a group of believers covenanting together to love each other, to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to exercise church discipline. So there's lots more about church life and the habitat of church than in this passage here. But in this passage, there are four crucial aspects that I believe God wants us, Grace Church, to especially think about and to ask, am I experiencing the habitat of church as described in these four aspects? So four aspects of church life. The first one is this. Church life means being part of a group of believers who are united together by drinking of the Holy Spirit. That's verses 12 through 14. Read these verses, see if, if you agree with me. That's what Paul is saying here. Just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So how did we all become one, being all these different members? Here's how, verse 13. 
For, underline that crucial word, because for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is an amazing passage. In the culture of that day, Jews and Greeks did not socialize together. They would separate across the street. They would be distant from each other. No social interaction. And in that culture, slaves and free did not spend time together. So huge class distinctions, racial distinctions going on in that culture. But if you walked into a church back at that time, you would have seen Greeks and Jews loving each other, embracing when they saw each other, talking together, friends together. You would have seen slaves and free laughing together, weeping together, encouraging each other, loving each other. Why? How did that happen from culture where Jews and Greeks separated, slaves and free separated to in the church, loving each other, caring for each other together? How did that happen? The answer is in verse 13. Let's read it again. For, because in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Now, some people think this verse is referring to water baptism, which, as Luke explained earlier so well, water baptism, when you first put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus calls you to publicly profess that faith by celebrating baptism. You go under the water, showing you've died to the old man, raise you up out of the water, raised up to newness of life. That's water baptism. Wonderful celebration. But I don't think this is talking about water baptism in this passage. And the reason is because every other time in the New Testament that the word baptism is used with the phrase in and the word spirit six other times, every other time, it doesn't refer to being baptized in water, it refers to being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every other time, six other times, look it up. So it's always talking about baptism in the, with the Holy Spirit. Now what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? This is a controversial doctrine, okay? We're all from different backgrounds here. But I need to share with you what I believe. All right, that's my, my job. So let me share with you my conviction. Some of our dearly beloved brothers and sisters in the body of Christ teach something different than, than would be my conclusion. They would teach that spirit baptism takes place after conversion and is always marked by speaking in tongues. Now, we, we respect those who teach that. I respect those who teach that. They have their reasons. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches, though. My conviction and I want to show you just a couple of scriptures here. My conviction is that spirit baptism takes place at conversion. And that sometimes it is, but not always. Necessarily, it's not at all marked by speaking in tongues. It happens at conversion. One of the reasons I believe that is that in this passage right here, Paul says that every believer he's talking to has experienced this. Right? He's assuming they all drink of the Holy Spirit. And take John 7, 37 to 38. Jesus is out in the middle of the city saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
Everyone who believes in Jesus will experience living water pouring and flow into their souls, satisfying them and pouring out of their souls in love for others. Everyone who believes. So the moment you turn from whatever else you were trusting to satisfy you, and you turn and you trust Jesus Christ to forgive you for your sin, to change your heart, to, to fill you, to satisfy you with his presence, the moment you do that, God will pour the Holy Spirit out upon you. And the Holy Spirit will help you see and feel and experience the reality of Jesus' love and Jesus' glory. And when you do, your heart will be filled, you'll be changed, you'll be satisfied. But not only will your heart be filled and changed and satisfied, according to the scripture here, you also will love all others who love Jesus Christ, whether they're Jewish or Greek or Albanian or American or Vietnamese or whatever, You'll love and care for everyone else who knows Jesus, whether they're slave or free or whatever their background might be. So my conviction is because of John 7, 37 to 38, and because of this scripture here and others, it takes place at conversion, and I don't think it's marked by speaking in tongues because in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, jot that verse down, 1 Corinthians 12, 30, it's clear that Paul is teaching that not everybody speaks in tongues. Not every believer speaks in tongues. It's a valid gift, but not every believer speaks in tongues. So... Spirit baptism, controversial doctrine, you study this on your own, but my conviction is it takes place at conversion, and it's not necessarily marked by speaking in tongues. But what happens when you trust Christ for the first time, God pours the Holy Spirit into your heart, and you see the glory of Christ, you feel the glory of Christ, your heart is filled not only is your own heart filled, but you love others who love Jesus. You, you receive a supernatural love for people. You've experienced that, right? You love, you have affection, you care for others who know and love Jesus Christ. Now, let me illustrate that with a very simple skit. Volunteers, come on up and stand right over here. Now, these five volunteers, they have nothing in common. They don't, really, they don't know each other. They don't really care about each other that much. They're not that interested in each other, right? They're bothered that I brought them all up here together. They're kind of wondering why I did that, okay? Okay, but now, now I want you to watch what happens when they drink some living water, okay? They've just put their trust in Jesus. Here you go, have some living water. Here's some living water for you. Here's some living water for you. Here's some living water for you. Now, watch what happens after they drink this living water. Watch how their hearts change. Watch how they start to love each other. See, this is just an amazing thing, okay? See, watch this. Just, just, okay, 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 keep going, keep going. Amazing. Good job. See, I told you. I told you. See, this is where Paul starts in this passage because this is where our love for each other starts. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ and God pours the Holy Spirit out upon us, our hearts are filled, our hearts are satisfied, and we love others who love Jesus, whether they're older, whether they're younger, whether they're richer, whether they're poorer, whether they're a different race than we are, different background, whatever it might be, different culture, we love them. This is the starting point of this habitat that Jesus has created. So, so here's the question I want you to, to think about. 
Are you experiencing this power, this motivation? Too many believers, when they first come to trust Christ, they, they receive a powerful experience of Jesus filling their hearts by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but then as time goes on, that wanes. It dies away. I tell you, somebody, I heard a pastor say, the problem is we get filled with the Spirit, but then we leak, right? So every morning, okay, get back under the faucet, okay? Just get back under the faucet, get filled up again, open up God's Word, cast all your cares upon Him, fight the fight of faith. This is where the love will come from that we, Grace Church, need to love each other the way Jesus wants us to love each other. Because in the rest of this passage, Paul is going to say some very challenging things about how we are to love each other. So we've got to start with the power. We've got to start with the love. We've got to start with drinking of the Holy Spirit. So being part of the body of Christ, this habitat means being part of a group of people who are diverse but joined together because they're drinking of the Holy Spirit together. Are you experiencing that habitat? That's the first aspect of this habitat that Paul talks about. Second, church life means being part of a group of believers who need you. They need you. Need you, okay? Verses 15 through 19, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Okay, so the church is just like your physical body, right? So in, with lots of parts, but still one body. So think about this. If, if you're a foot... Don't think, well, I'm just a foot. The rest of the body doesn't need me. Imagine heading into your day without one of your feet. Okay, it, it, you'd struggle, right? You'd notice this is, it's got some trouble getting around here, right? Are you with me? Okay, so that's how it works. So the rest of the body needs the foot. So church life means having a group of believers who need you. They need you. Do you have a group of believers who need you? Now, we're not here talking about, Paul is not talking about like running the video projector or setting up chairs, as important as those things are, okay, and sound and everything else. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about here is the word edification, which he uses throughout 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. This means that there's a group of believers who need you to strengthen them spiritually. Why? Because they are going through trials, they're going through deceptions. You know, Satan is the deceiver of the whole world, we read in Revelation. Trials, deceptions, temptations. And believers need your love and encouragement and wisdom. So church life means being part of a group of believers who need you. So just, I try to think of an example. Actually, my wife came up with this one. Great example. One of the hardest things of being here in Abu Dhabi is when you have a, a family member who's going through a hard time, and you're here, and they're back in, in your home country, right? One of the hardest things, okay? So let's say that, that there's somebody in the, in the body of Christ here who has a family member back in their home country who's really struggling, and the person who's here is grieving over that, 
worried about that, not sleeping well at night, fearful about that, preoccupied with that, thinking about that, okay? Now, here's what Paul wants you to understand. They need you. They need you. Just like your body needs the foot and your body needs the elbow and your body needs the eye, they need you to love them, to listen to them, to share God's promises with them, to pray for them. They need you. So being part of church means being part of a group of people who need you. So ask yourself, do you have a group of people who need you? Think about that. And one of the reasons this is a, such a beautiful habitat for, for you who are needed is that when you love them, when you share God's promises with them, when you listen to them, weep with them, pray with them, you will leave that time filled, encouraged, strengthened. Right? You've all experienced this, haven't you? When you pour into another believer, God pours into you. It's more blessed to give than to receive, Paul said. Jesus said, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And so that's why this habitat is so life-giving for us. That's why we flourish in this habitat, because when we give to those who need our encouragement, we receive such great encouragement in return. So the first description of this habitat is being part of church life means being part of a group of people, diverse people who are united in drinking of the Spirit. The second part is it means being part of a group of people who need you. The third description Paul gives is it means being part of a group of people whom you need. You need them. Look at verses 20 through 24. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, probably referring to the internal organs, are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. That's a long, complicated sentence. Most commentators think that less honorable and unpresentable probably is referring to the sexual organs. That's what's going on here. Okay, but the point is, we need each other. We need, they're, they're all needed. So I want you to imagine, for example, an eye, like you've got two of them, imagine one of your eyes, thinking, it doesn't need anyone else. Okay? I can see, and I, can, I can see, I can, I can see close, I can see far, I can see middle, okay? And I thinking, I can do this all I can see. Well, okay, think about it. Your eye can see your sandwich at lunchtime, but without a hand, you can't pick it up. And without a mouth, you can't enjoy it, right? Just looking at the sandwich. Right? Okay, so the eye needs the hand, the eye needs the mouth. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to really stress this. Here in Abu Dhabi, and I've seen this, we've been here for two and a half years, it is extremely dangerous spiritually to try to live here without having a group of brothers and sisters who you know you need. You need them. To think you can make it here on your own spiritually is, is it's, it's foolish. 
It is foolish. Satan is prowling like a roaring lion. And I suppose it's not just true in Abu Dhabi. That's probably true anywhere. But we feel the stress here, right? We feel the pressures that are here. You see the, the wreckages of lives that take place too often here. So why do you need others in the body of Christ? Well, it's for the same reason I mentioned earlier, okay? You face trials. You face deceptions. You face temptations, right? You think, well, isn't, isn't God going to give me everything I need to handle those? Well, He will, but much of the time He will give that to you through your brothers and sisters. You need their wisdom. You need their, are you, are you being deceived here? Loving question. You need their encouragement. You need their comfort. You need your brothers and sisters. I was thinking back, there was a, a gentleman in our home group a few months ago who came in and sat down, and we were sharing burdens like we always do at the beginning of our home group, and he was very burdened about a problem in his life, and so burdened, so worried, he wasn't sleeping well, it was preoccupying him, it was very difficult, and he, he opened up, praise God, and he shared with us this difficulty, and the home group opened up God's word, we shared God's promises with him in, in loving, tender, compassionate real, beautiful ways, so lots of God's promises were shared. We, we gathered around, we laid hands on him, and we prayed that God would take those promises and strengthen his faith through those promises. Lord, pour out your spirit upon him, encourage him, strengthen his faith, show him who you are. So we, we listened, we loved, we shared promises, we prayed, and after we prayed, I asked him, you know, what did God do as we were sharing promises and as we were praying for you? And he said, the burden is gone. My worries have lifted. I'm seeing Jesus more clearly. I'm at rest in my soul. It was a beautiful thing. So, so he knew that he needed brothers and sisters to share, and God worked with power as he did, and the group prayed for him. So church life means being part of a diverse group of people who are united by drinking of the Spirit. Church life means being part of a group of people who need you, and church life means being part of a group of people whom you need. Now, there's one more. Church life means being part of a group of believers who all love and care for each other. All love and care for each other. That's the second half of verse 24 going down to verse 26. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. It's beautiful love and care for one another. And look at how powerful this love is. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So church life means that when you suffer, all your brothers and sisters will suffer with you. Or when you're honored, they will all rejoice with you. It's not just that you have one or two friends who suffer with you when you suffer or rejoice with you when you rejoice. It's you have, you have a group of believers who all suffer together when you suffer, who all rejoice together when you're honored. I mean, it's just like your physical body. Think about it. If you stub your toe, 
okay? Your toe's going to feel that badly, but your whole body will like, ouch, right? The whole body will suffer along with your toe. Or if you like, have some ice cream, okay? Mm, your taste buds are going to be like happy, but your whole body's going to be happy, right? It's just how it works, okay? So that's how the body functions. Paul's saying that's the habitat of church life. It's being part of a group of people who, when one suffers, they all know and they all suffer with him or her. Or when one is honored, they all rejoice. Now, why is this important? Well, when you suffer, and some of you have experienced this, when you suffer to have a group of people who all rally around you and care and love and listen and pray, that will powerfully strengthen you and them. Okay? Or when you're honored and you come to share with your brothers and sisters how you're honored and they all rejoice with you, that will help you and all of you give praise and glory to God all the more because they're all rejoicing what God has done in His faithfulness to you. So church life means being part of a group of people who all love and care for each other. So here's four attributes of church life that Paul describes here. This is the habitat that Jesus has created through dying on the cross and rising from the dead. This is the environment. This is the ecosystem that Jesus has given you to thrive and to flourish. So here's the question. Are you experiencing this? Are you experiencing church life the way Paul describes it here? Are you part of a group of believers who are united because you're all drinking of the Holy Spirit together? A group of believers who need you and whom you need and who all love and care for each other. This is an amazing level of love and closeness. Remember, Jesus said, they'll know you are my followers by your love for each other. This is one of the reasons Jesus says that, because this kind of love is only in the body of Christ. Only believers have this kind of love. Diverse people laying their lives down for each other, loving each other, caring for each other in this way. That's why our love is a testament, a testimony to the world of Jesus' reality, because the love that we have in the body of Christ is so unusual, so powerful, so beautiful. Now, here's the problem. Are we experiencing this? As important as Friday mornings are, this level of community can't be experienced by a group this large. If, if one of our goals was that every person's suffering we would all know about and weep with every Friday morning, it would be a lengthy meeting right? There's no way that we can do that in this kind of a setting. So every church has to wrestle with the question, how are we going to experience this kind of church life with this level of Christ-centered love and togetherness and community? This is the environment in which we will thrive. This is the habitat Jesus created for us. God has given us the church, one of his most precious gifts, but how can we experience it? And see, part of the problem is that for hundreds and hundreds of years, many, many Christians just thought church meant going to a meeting on Sunday morning, Friday morning here in this country. You go to a meeting, see you next week. Go to a meeting, see you next week. But do you see from this passage, that is not what Paul's talking about here. Friday morning gatherings are crucial. 
to worship God together with our brothers and sisters. Oh, what an uplifting time. And to be taught God's word systematically, expository preaching through the scriptures. That's vital for us. But where are we going to experience being part of a group of people, diverse but really united in this kind of close love by drinking of the Spirit, where we all need each other, I need you, you need me, and where we all love and care for each other, where do we experience that? So every church has to wrestle with that question. And our answer at Grace Church is to do that in our home groups, to, to plant home groups throughout different geographical areas in Abu Dhabi where we can come together in smaller groups and live out what Paul is talking about here in terms of church life. So what is a home group? Okay, home group is a group of 8 to 20 people, diverse people who come together. It's, did I miss something? Okay, it's old, young, married, single, all different races, backgrounds, all different job types, okay? So it's people who come together, maybe 8 to 20 or more, right, in some groups. I understand now. That was the joke. Okay. Uh, who come together and say, we are going to seek to live out Christ-centered community, as Paul describes, as Jesus describes. We're going to seek to love each other in that way. We're going to come together and care for each other and encourage each other. And so they meet weekly to bear each other's burdens, to share God's promises, to strengthen each other's faith. They pray for each other. Ask God, look, pour out your Holy Spirit, strengthen our faith. They encourage each other in evangelism. Uh, home groups study God's word together, pray for the advance of the gospel here in Abu Dhabi, worship together. That's what home groups do. And, and that is our answer, that we can gather Friday mornings with a large group, praise God for what he's doing here, but then we can have smaller home groups where we have a community of believers that we can experience what Paul's talking about here. Because you can't do that in a group this size, right? But we can do it in a smaller group setting. So here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Here's the takeaway this morning. I know many of you are already in home groups. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. If you're already in a home group, understand that if, if you can't make it some night to the meeting, the group is, is weaker because of it, all right? Now, that, all, that will always happen sometimes. Travel, kids are sick, okay? No guilt, right? It, it happens. But understand, they would have been stronger if you would have been there. And whenever you can be there, they will be strong because you're there. It's so important. And when you have needs or burdens, don't just keep them all to yourself. You need your brothers and sisters. Don't be so proud, you need your brothers and sisters to encourage you, to pray for you, to support you. Do you see that? You need your brothers and sisters. So important to understand that. So if you're already in a home group, press in, press on, grow more in that setting. And if you're not in a home group, the steering team, I'm representing the steering team here, we want to do all we can to encourage you to become part of a home group. You need that kind of a setting. That is the habitat that Jesus purchased for you on the cross. That's the environment in which you will thrive and flourish as a believer. Just coming here on Fridays, and we want to make Fridays as powerful as we can be so that you are blessed with worship and you're fed the word, but it's not enough. It is not enough. You need brothers and sisters around you. Now, I know some, you might say, well, I've got, a, I've got a brother, you know, back in my home country. We Skype regularly, and wonderful. 
Keep doing that. But you need brothers and sisters. You need a community of believers around you where you're doing that with each other. That's what Paul is talking about here. So do all you can to be part of a home group. Now, I thought of three obstacles to becoming part of a home group, okay? One is time, okay? Anybody feeling the time crunch? Life's very busy here in Abu Dhabi. Also, no one expects you to be at every home group meeting. We all understand there's travel, there's kids, there's interruptions, things happen. We get that. Not a problem, okay? But even coming part of the time, coming when you can, will bring you great benefit as you become part of that community of believers. Another problem is energy. Anybody else like really tired after a day of work? Okay? You just want to go home and like, what's on TV? Thank you. A couple hours. That's all I need right now. Okay? Nobody wants to go to home group after a day of taking care of kids or working hard at your job. We all understand how that is. Let me challenge you. Make a commitment to attending home group, even if you're not feeling like it, even if you're feeling exhausted, and see if you don't come home from home group refreshed and energized and strengthened and empowered. I think you will. I've experienced that time and time and time and time again, and you will as well. Another problem is effort. It takes effort to visit a group of people you don't even know who they are. Are they going to like you? Are you going to like them? Okay? And hey, I need to tell you, no home group is perfect. Every home group has sin in it, right? We don't like that, but, and we're, we're working on it, and God is sanctifying us, but hey, we're not in heaven yet, okay? But I think you'll find that it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. Relationships take effort. Relationships take time. Also, on that effort point, I would guess that maybe some of you have had a bad experience, maybe in a small group before, and you've maybe walked away saying, never again. I would appeal to you to look at 1 Corinthians 12, ask yourself, where are you going to experience that? And prayerfully take the step and say, Lord, help me, protect me, help me. But for the glory of Jesus, in obedience to the word of God, I'm going to do this and step out and see what God does. So I would encourage you to visit whichever home group is closest to you geographically. And we've got pictures of the home groups here, I think. Let's start with the first one. Here's the youth home group. This is an old picture. Um, but look at what a fantastic-looking group this is, okay? And the group's gotten started again. Meet Thursday nights, 6 o'clock. You can get more information out on the outside in terms of talk to Michael, talk to Kat about location and time. Um, they met last night. Got off to a, they're getting off to a great start this fall. So that's the youth home group. And we want our youth to be experiencing this level of church life as well. Then there's the Mohammed bin Zayed City Home Group. Now, we took this picture two weeks ago. We had a lot of other people that weren't part of our home group, though, so we look a lot bigger than we are. But it's, it's a great group. Jan and I have the joy of leading that home group Tuesdays, 7 o'clock, right there in Mohammed bin Zayed. Then there's the Khalifa City Home Group. Luke and Lorna lead that home group. Look at that happy group. That's great. Okay, Tuesdays, 7 o'clock, maps outside. Officers Club Home Group. The Officers Club, this is picture taken this week. A lot of people weren't there for home group this week. It is larger than this group, but well-led, fantastically led by Graham and Sim 
And God's doing a beautiful work there. So Officers Club area, you can get a map outside, 7 o'clock Wednesday nights. Embassy District Home Group. I got to visit this home group Monday night this last week, uh, led by Emmanuel, co-led by Ray. Monday nights, 6 o'clock. Uh, had a great time visiting them. God's at work there. And then the Shockwood City Home Group, which is 7 o'clock Wednesdays in Shockwood City, led by Earl and Len Palacios. Earl's a fellow steering team member, great group. So we right now have six home groups, and our plan is to start more in the, in the months to come. And I want to do all I can to encourage you to become part of our home groups. Like I said, every church has to wrestle with the question, how are we going to experience the level of community, the level of love, the level of closeness that's described in the New Testament? And our answer is home groups. A home group is a community of believers. They meet together once a week, but they're loving each other every day of the week. They're praying for each other during the week. They're caring for each other. They're babysitting. They're visiting each other in the hospital. They're doing all kinds of wonderful things together. They're reaching out to lost people together. Do all you can to be part of, of a home group. Now let's stand together, and I want to pray. So God has created a habitat for you as a believer in which you will thrive. It's the church. The church is more than just a Friday morning or a Sunday morning meeting. It's a community of believers. So Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts today. Help us to think through what you had Paul write in 1 Corinthians 12 about the level of relationships Lord, I'm sure there's many here this morning who, who have not been experiencing this level of, of love, this level of community, this level of closeness. And Lord, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts, Lord, that we as Grace Church would grow in this for the glory of your name. I pray, Lord, for those who feel like they're just too busy. Lord, I, I pray that you would bring an opening in their schedule, that you would help them see how this could work, or just that you would put in their hearts that they're just going to pursue this and, and see what you do in response. Lord, I, I pray that, that time would not be an issue. I pray for those who just really do have long, long days of taking care of kids, working at their jobs. Lord, I pray that this week especially, as, as we take steps to being part of this, that you would energize and refresh and encourage us. I pray for any here who've been hurt in small groups. They've decided they're not going to do this again. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would comfort them, that you would heal their hearts, that you'd pour your grace out upon them, and that they would be able to enter into one of these home groups, Lord, and receive the benefit and the blessing. So God, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning through your word to move us to experiencing more and more of the level of love and community that you have for us. I pray this in Jesus' name.